0: Chapter 5 of The Young Diana. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Young Diana by Marie Corelli. Chapter 5 On that same imminently tragic afternoon when Mr. Polydore May found it necessary to change his white flannels so soon after putting them on and his wife had to think seriously of a crepe poppy for her bonnet, two ladies sat in the charmingly arranged drawing-room of a particularly charming flat in Mayfair, enjoying their afternoon tea. One was a graceful little woman arrayed in a captivating tea-gown. The other, a thin, rather worn-looking creature with a pale face and bright hair tucked closely away, under a not very becoming felt hat, garbed in a severely plain costume of dark navy serge. The butterfly person in the tea-gown was Miss Sophie Lansing, a noted suffragette, and the authoress of a brilliantly witty satire entitled Adam and his Apple, which, it was rumoured, had made even the Dean of St. Paul's laugh. The tired-featured woman with the air of an intellectual governess out of place was no other than the victim of the morning's disastrous death-by-drowning, Diana May. Dead in Devonshire, she was alive in London, and her friend, Sophie Lansing, was sitting beside her, clasping her hands in a flutter of delight, surprise, and amusement all commingled. You dear, she exclaimed, how ever did you manage to get away? I never was so astonished or so pleased. When I got your note by express messenger, I could hardly believe my eyes. What time did you arrive in town? About midday, replied Diana. I felt comfortably drowned by that time, and I lunched at the stores. Drowned cried Sophie. My dear, what do you mean? Diana released her hands from her friend's eager grasp and took off her hat. There was a gleam of whimsical humour in her eyes. One moment and I'll explain everything, she said. But first of all, let me tell you why I sent you a message in advance, instead of coming to you direct. It's because I'm obliged for the present to be like a travelling royalty in Cog. Your servants must not know my real name. To them and to everybody else who sees me here, I'm Miss Graham, not Miss May. Miss May is dead. As Peggotty says in David Copperfield, she's drowned dead. Drowned dead this very morning. <laughs> she laughed. Sophie Lansing looked as she felt, utterly bewildered. "'You are a positive enigma, Diana,' she said. "'Of course, when I got your note, "'I understood you had some reason or other "'for wishing to be in Cog, "'and I told my maids that I expected a friend to stay with me, "'a Miss Graham, and that she would come this afternoon, "'so that's all right, but about the drowning business.' "'You'll see it mentioned, no doubt, in the papers tomorrow,' "'said Diana, under various headings,' BATHING FATALITY, OR SAD END OF A LADY, AND YOU'LL PROBABLY GET A BLACK-BORDERED LETTER FROM MA, OR PA, OR BOTH. DIANA, EXCLAIMED SOPHIE VEHEMENTLY, YOU ARE TOO PROVOKING, TELL ME ALL ABOUT IT, STRAIGHT. THERE'S NOT SO VERY MUCH TO TELL, ANSWERED DIANA IN HER SWEET, MELLOW ACCENTS. "'thrilled at the moment by a note of sadness. "'Only that last night I had the final disillusion of my life. "'I found that my father and mother did not really love me.' "'Love you?' interrupted Sophie, heatedly. "'You dear goose, there's no such thing as love in their composition.' "'Maybe not,' said Diana. But if there is, they've none to spare for me. You see, dear Sophie, it's all the fault of my silly conceit. I really thought I was useful, even necessary to the old people, and that they cared for me. But when I heard my father say most emphatically that I was in the way, and my mother rather agreed to that, I made up my mind to relieve them of my presence, which I have done. Forever. Forever forever echoed sophie my poor dear diana no i'm not a poor dear diana she answered smiling i'm a dead and gone diana you will see me in the leading obituary columns of the newspapers tomorrow but how the how and the when and the why are thus and Diana played with the silken tassels of the girdle which belted in the dainty chiffon and lace of her friend's tea-gown. This very morning, as ever was, I went for my usual morning dip in the sea, at a cove not a quarter of a mile away from the house. I knew that at a certain hour there would be a high tide, which, of course, on any other day I would have avoided. I went to the spot— dressed in two of everything. Two of everything? Sophie murmured bewilderedly. Yes, you pretty little thick head. Two of everything. Don't you see? Being as thin as a clothes prop, that was easy for me. Two combis. Two chemises. Two petticoats. Two serge gowns. Having no figure, I wear no corsets, so I didn't have two of those two pairs of knickers two pairs of stockings one pair of shoes on another pair off and carried secretly under my bathing gown along with my felt hat as to start with i wore a black straw one then when i got to the cove i disrobed myself of one set of garments and put them with my straw hat and one pair of shoes all in an orderly heap on a rock out of the way of the water as any sensible person preparing to bathe would do then i waited for the high tide it came swiftly and surely and soon filled the cove big waves came with it rolling in with a splendid dash and roar and at the proper psychological moment i threw in all my bathing things as far out to sea as i could from the summit of the rock where i stood I saw them whirled round and round in the whelming flood. In the whelming flood, Sophie, where my dear Pa and Ma believe I also have been whelmed. Then, when they had nearly disappeared in the hollow of a receding mass of water, I put on my felt hat, and, completely clothed in my one set of decent garments, I quietly walked away. Walked away? Where to? Not to the nearest railway station, you may be sure, replied Diana. I might have been known there and traced. I'm a good walker, and it was quite early, only a little after seven. So I struck across some fields and went inland for about six or eight miles. Then I came upon a little out-of-the-way station, connected with a branch line to London. Happily, a train was just due, and I took it. I had saved five pounds on the housekeeping last month. I had intended to give them back to my mother, but, considering everything, I felt I might take that small sum for myself without so much as a prick of conscience. So that's my story, and here I am. And here you'll stay, said Sophie eagerly. Not a soul shall know who you are. "'I'll stay for two or three days, but not longer,' said Diana. "'I want to get abroad as quickly as possible, "'and I'm afraid I shall have to ask you to lend me a little money.' "'I'll lend or give you anything you want,' interrupted Sophie quickly. "'Surely you know that?' "'Surely I know that you are one of the kindest-hearted little women in the world,' "'said Diana.' and your wealthy old bachelor uncle never did a wiser thing than when he left you two thousand a year why you remain single i can never understand that's because you are a sentimental goose declared sophie if you were worldly wise you would see that it's just that two thousand that does it the men who propose to me and there are a good few of them want the two thousand first and me afterwards or rather let us say some of them would be glad of the two thousand without me altogether all the nonsense in poetry books about love and dove and sigh and die and moon and spoon doesn't count i've lived till i'm thirty-five and i've never met a man yet who is worth a trickle of a tear they are all sensualists and money-grubbers polygamous as monkeys and the only thing to be done with them is to make them work to keep the world going though even that seems little use sometimes "'Sophie, dear, are you becoming a pessimist?' asked Diana, half-smiling. "'Surely it is a beautiful world.' "'Yes, it's beautiful in a natural way, but the artificiality of human life in it is depressing and disgusting. "'Don't let us talk of it. Tell me why you are going abroad. What are your plans?' "'Diana took a neat leather case from her pocket and drew out of it a folded slip of paper.' you sent me that she said that advertisement she exclaimed the man who wants any woman alone in the world without claims on her time or her affections oh diana you don't mean it you're not really going on such a wild goose chase what harm can it do said diana quietly i'm old enough to take care of myself and I fulfil all the requirements. I am a woman of mature years, I am courageous and determined, and I have a fair knowledge of modern science. I am well educated, especially in languages and literature, thanks to my solitary studies, and, as I have nothing to look forward to in the world, I am not afraid to take risks. It really seems the very sort of thing for me, at any rate i can but go and present myself as suggested personally and alone to this dr demetrius at geneva and if he turns out an impostor well geneva isn't the worst of places and i'm sure i could find something to do as a teacher of music or a companion housekeeper in any case i'm determined to go there and investigate things for myself and whatever money you are good enough to lend me, dear Sophie, be sure I'll never rest till I pay you back every penny. Sophie threw an embracing arm round her and kissed her. If you never paid me back a farthing, I shouldn't mind, she said, laughing dear di i'm not one of those friends who measure love by money money and the passion for acquiring it make more than half the hypocrisy cruelty and selfishness of the age but all the same i'm not quite sure that i approve of this plan of yours my dear Sophie. why should you disapprove just think of it here am i past forty without any attraction whatsoever no looks no fortune and nothing to look forward to in life except perhaps the chance of travel and adventure i'm fond of studies in modern science and i believe i've read every book of note on all the new discoveries and here's a man who plainly announces in his advertisement that he needs the assistance of a woman like me there can be no harm done by my going to see him very likely by the time i get to geneva he'll be what the servants call suited. Then I'll try something else. For now, as long as I live, I'm alone in the world and must stand on my own.' "'Do you mean to say that you'll never go back to the old folks?' asked Sophie. "'How can I, when I'm dead?' laughed Diana. "'No, no, it would be too awful for them to see me turning up again just when I had ceased to be in the way.' sophie frowned selfish old brutes she said diana demurred no don't say that she expostulated you must bear in mind that i've been a terrible disappointment to them they wanted me to marry well for money rather than love and when i wasted my youth for love's sake of course they were angry they thought me a fool and really so i was i don't think there can be anything more foolish than to sacrifice the best part of one's life for any man he is never worth it he never understands or appreciates it to him women are all alike one as good or as bad as t'other the mistake we make is when we fail to treat him as he treats us he is a creature who from very babyhood upwards should be whipped rather than spoiled. That is why he is frequently more faithful to his mistress than his wife. He's afraid of the one, but he can bully the other. Sophie clapped her hands. Well said Di, you begin to agree with me at last. Once upon a time you were all for believing in the chivalrous thought and tenderness of men i wanted to believe interrupted diana with a half-smile i can't honestly say i did no one can who studies life ever so superficially declared Sophie. particularly the ordinary matrimonial life a man selects a woman entirely for selfish purposes she may be beautiful and he wishes to possess her beauty or rich and he wants the use of her money or well-connected, and he seeks to push himself through her relations, or a good cook and housekeeper, and he wants his appetite well-catered for. As for children, well, sometimes he wants them, and more often he doesn't. I remember what an awful fuss there was in the house of an unfortunate friend of mine who had twins. Her husband was furious. When he was told of the interesting event, he used the most unedifying language. Two more mouths to feed he groaned good god what a visitation from the way he went on you'd have thought that he had had no share at all in the business he didn't mind hurting his wife's feelings or saying hard things to her not he and it's the same story everywhere you go a few months of delightful courtship then marriage then incessant routine of housekeeping illness and childbearing and afterwards when the children grow up the long dull days of resigned monotony toothlessness which is only partially remedied by modern dentistry, and an end of everything vital or pleasurable. Except, of course, unless you kick over the traces and become a fast matron, with your weather eye open on all men. But that kind of woman is always such bad form. Marriage is not worth the trouble it brings. Even children are not unmixed blessings. I've never seen any I could not do without. In fact, <laughs> and she laughed. A bachelor woman with two thousand a year doesn't want a man to help her spend it. Quite true, said Diana, with a slight sigh. But I haven't got two thousand a year, or anything a year at all. Never mind, and Sophie looked wisely confident. You'll have all you want and more. Yes, something tells me you are going to make a great success. Sophie, Sophie, in what? Oh, I don't know. And the vivacious little lady jumped up from her chair and shook out her filmy skirts and floating ribbons. But I feel it. It is one of those waves. What do you call them? "'Etheric vibrations, yes, that's it. "'Don't you feel those sort of things ever?' "'Diana had also risen, and as she stood upright, very still, "'there was a curious look in her face of expectancy and wonder. "'Yes,' she answered slowly. "'I felt one just now.' "'Sophie laughed merrily of course i imparted it to you and you're going to be a wonderful creature i'm sure of it your poor brain so long atrophied by the domestic considerations of pa and ma is about to expand to breathe to move to act yes diana think of it cinderella shall go to the prince's ball <laughs> her bright laughter pealed out again and diana laughed too "'Come and see your room,' went on Sophie. "'You're here at any rate for a day or two, "'and I'll keep you as secretly and preciously as a saint in a shrine. "'You've no luggage? "'Of course, I forgot. "'I'll lend you a nightie, "'and you must buy a lot of clothes tomorrow in a box to pack them in. "'It won't do for you to go abroad without any luggage, "'and I'll help you choose your garments, Di, "'You must have something really becoming, "'something not after the taste of pa or ma.' am i to make a conquest of dr feodor demetrius asked diana playfully one would think you had that sort of thing in view one never knows said sophie shaking a warning finger at her dr demetrius may be hideous or he may be fascinating and whether hideous or fascinating he may be amorous most men are at moments, and in such moments they'll make love to anything feminine. Not anything feminine of my age, said Diana calmly. He distinctly advertises for a woman of mature years. That may be his cunning. And Sophie looked mysterious. If we are to believe history, Cleopatra was fifty when she enchanted Antony dear old egyptian days sighed diana with a whimsical uplifting of her eyebrows would i had lived in them with a long plaited black wig and darkened lashes i too might have found an antony well dress does make a difference said sophie seriously that is of course if you know where to get it made and how to put it on and don't bundle it round you in a gathered balloon like ma what a sight that woman does look to be sure poor mother i tried to make her clothes sit on her murmured diana regretfully but they wouldn't of course they wouldn't they simply couldn't now take mrs ross percival a real old old harridan the terror of her grown-up daughters, who are always watching her, lest her wig of young curls should come off. She gets herself up in such a style that I once heard your father, an easily duped old thing, say he thought her the most beautiful woman in London. And it was all the dress, with a big hat, cosmetics and a complexion veil. Diana laughed. <laughs> Pa's a very susceptible little man, she said tolerantly he has often amused me very much with his amourettes. Sometimes it's Mrs. Ross Percival. Then he becomes suddenly, violently juvenile and pays his devoirs to a girl of seventeen. I think he'd die straight off if he couldn't believe himself, still capable of conquering all hearts. And he'll be able to get on in that line much better now that I'm drowned. I was in the way. Silly old Noodle, said Sophie, he'd better not come near me i should tell him a few plain truths of himself which he would not like oh he wouldn't mind diana assured her to begin with he wouldn't listen and if he did he would grin that funny little grin of his and say you were overwrought that's his great word you can make no impression on Pa if he doesn't want to be impressed he has absolutely no feelings i mean real feelings he has only just impulses of anger or pleasure such as an animal has and he doesn't attempt to control either they had by this time left the drawing-room and were standing together in a charming little bedroom furnished all in white and rose-colour this is my visitors room said sophie and you can occupy it as long as you like and i'll bring you one of my paris tea gowns to slip on for dinner it's lovely and you'll look sweet diana smiled i dear sophie you expect miracles but sophie was not so far wrong that evening diana arrayed in a gracefully flowing garment of cunningly interwoven soft shades varying from the hue of neapolitan violets to palest turquoise and wearing her really beautiful bright hair artistically coiled on the top of her well-shaped head was a very different looking diana to the weary worn and angular woman in severely cut navy serge who had presented the appearance of an out-of-place governess but a few hours before if she could not be called young or beautiful she was distinctly attractive and sophie lansing was delighted my dear you pay for dressing she said enthusiastically and you mark my words, you don't look mature enough for that doctor Demetrius End of chapter five.